there's a certain urgency that has continued to grow in my uh, heart life over these last couple weeks, as I shared at the beginning of last week's message. And I want to continue today, if I can, to um, try and remind us of some of the things in the Bible about Jesus and about this baby that was born that seems to be so easily covered over in the culture in which we live today. I don't know how many people only think of the baby that was born as Mary's baby, or they might know his name as Jesus. But I want to take some time this morning to look at a number of names of this little baby to help to give us, and you in particular, a greater understanding of him. Names matter. They give individuality. They give us personality. They they tell us something about our lives. Um, They're so much nicer than numbers. Numbers are just like hard, cold Um, don't reveal anything about a person, but you give a person a name and you automatically reveal something about them. They might be a father, they might be a a, a wife, they might be a doctor, they might be a plumber, they might have a nickname. I I think of, um, well, I had a pinball pleasant, uh, Clements, I was thinking of in the CFL a little while because he was bounced around, but he scored so many touchdowns. So we have names that reveal our character and our personality. Well, it's this name about Jesus Christ, and I want to try and compel you to think about Jesus in broader terms than just a baby that was born in a manger. Pastor Barry read from uh, the prophet Isaiah who wrote his words 600 years before actually that baby was born. And he began to tell us a remarkable story about this baby and began to identify what he would be like. And one of the ways that he did that is through names, which we will look at in a couple moments. He says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And there's a few things that that Isaiah said, and I don't know if he fully understood what he was saying at the time, but he referenced the humanity of this child. Unto us a child is born. That would be a child like all of us. We were one day once born through our uh, mothers. We We are humans, and we had flesh and blood. Well, this is the same that is true of this child that was born to Mary, a human child. We looked at this last week. But he also says, unto us a son is given. And that immediately says something unique. And I wonder if uh, Isaiah might have come home at the end of the day and his wife said to him, so honey, what did you write today? What did the Spirit of God reveal to you today? He says, well, it was kind of strange. He told me about a son that would be born and I had to record that, but he said that a son would be given. He says, I couldn't really quite wrap my head around that. But really, it's a reference to the fact of his deity. And we understand that as we have the fullness of the revelation of the New Testament where we read about there that um, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world. A son would be given. Or we read it in another place where it says where in the fullness of time came, God sent his son into the world. Whether Isaiah knew it or not, he was declaring something about the nature of this child. He would be a human child, but he would also be God. And that's summed up in the text that Uh, Barry just read, where his name is Emmanuel, which catches both of those, the reality of his humanness and the reality of his divinity. And then the third thing that Isaiah tells us about him is that he will be a king. The government shall be upon his shoulders. This child that is coming will be a great king. His His kingdom will be an eternal one, and it is right now being established in the lives and the hearts of so many people around the world, but one day it will come in all of its fullness, glory, might and power. So I want to talk a little bit about this child and um, the various names that he was called because I think if you can grasp something of this child by the names that he was called, it might compel you to say, I can put my trust in him. That's a God that I can um, 
put my faith in and I can commit my life to. So when we think about the names of Jesus, let me open up the first one, simply his familiar name. And by familiar name, I mean the name that he would have been called in his home by his mother and his father. It's like Jesus would be called by his mother at dinner. Jesus, it's time to come in for dinner. Or Jesus, can you look after your brothers and sisters? I need to go down to the market and pick some stuff up. Matthew records an interesting conversation between an angel of the Lord and Joseph. It was a conversation about the baby that was growing in Mary's womb, about what he should do with Mary and about what he should call this child. And it's not an unexpected visitation after all because this was a strange birth and Joseph's initial response to it was he needed to put this wife away in a very kind way, but how could he marry a woman who had committed adultery with him? But the angel comes and visits him and explains some of the circumstances to him. And a few things about this child that the uh, angel says to Joseph is that Joseph, she calls Joseph, uh, the angel calls Joseph the son of David, which is a reminder of the lineage of David. And this means that any child that Joseph would adopt or any child that Joseph would bear through a wife would also be in the line of David. And so by his act of naming Jesus, he was calling Jesus into his line, bringing Jesus into his family and actually into the line of David. But Jesus is a wonderful name. It's a name that goes back even to the Old Testament. It's a name that we understand in the name Joshua or the name Jeshua. It means God will save. It's a beautiful name. And notice it's not Joseph and Mary who pick the name. It's God who tells them what they need to name this child because God knows the destiny of this child. God knows the purpose of which he is sending this child into the world. And so God says through the angel to Joseph and Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. And the singular purpose for which this child was being sent into the world was so that he could save his people from their sins. It's an amazing reality. It's an amazing gift. It's an amazing acknowledgement of the purpose of this child, and it's contained in his name. All of us are enslaved to sin. If you're honest with yourself, you know about this. Some are enslaved to anger, some to impatience, some to greed, some to sexual sin, some to alcohol, others to gambling, some to pride, some to lying, some to deceitfulness, some to envy, some to material pleasure. There's moral darkness in all of our lives from which we need help. And you intuitively and, and maybe even biblically know that these things that enslave you are wrong. You experience guilt and you experience shame. And no matter how you try, no matter what you do, it's your consistent master. Well, what the name Jesus tells us is that Jesus has come to free us from those slaveries. He has come to free us from the bondage of those sins. He has come to free us from the judgment of God because he is the one whom we have sinned against. He is the one that can forgive our sins. And so the question of Christmas is, will you trust this baby to deal with your sins? Will you trust in this baby whose name is Jesus to take away the guilt and the shame of your sins? Luke tells us about another conversation between the angel Gabriel and Mary. He's also giving encouragement and direction. You shall conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him his name Jesus, for he will be great. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. You know that, that when you hear this name, Jesus, that is a great name. And in fact, that is the name of a king. And in fact, that is the name of the king of kings. And that is the name of a king who will reign forever and ever and ever. 
Can you imagine what went through Joseph and Mary's mind every time they called Jesus? Every time they prayed for Jesus? Some of these thoughts must have flooded into their mind when they called him for dinner or when they called him to clean up his room, when they called him with, along with his brothers and sisters. How they, their hearts must have broke when people began probably even to use his name in vain back then. What do you think when you hear the name Jesus? First and foremost, you should think Savior. First and foremost, you should think he can deliver me from my sins. And so they called his name Jesus. Secondly, some descriptive names of Jesus. There are a couple names that people would use to refer to Jesus. They're sort of categorical sort of names. And two in particular caught my attention, although there's over 250 different names given to this child that was born to Mary. But to Mary, the angel Gabriel said, he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is how he would be known by some. The truth about Jesus would be affirmed with this moniker, Son of the Most High or Son of God. That's a reference to his deity. Do you know that the first recorded uses of that term or that phrase, Son of God, are by Satan and by demons? They knew his true identity. Jesus had a human name, but he also had a divine um, nature. And that nature was understood as the Son of God. And so behind this man or behind this human being, Jesus, was another reality. He was, in fact, the Son of God. And Satan understood this when he came to tempt Jesus. He taunted him almost, if you are the Son of God. He knew he was the Son of God. Satan understood the, the uniqueness about Jesus Christ. And the demons also, when confronted by Jesus, would respond, what do you have to do with us, Son of God? It's not a surprise that the invisible world or the rulers and authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces in heavenly places, knew who Jesus was. He had created them. They at one time had been in heaven with them. But it was not only in the spiritual realm that he was known as the Son of God. His disciples, when they were exposed to his power on a, on a windy, stormy crossing of the Sea of Galilee, when they woke him up from this sleep and they called him and said, Jesus, what are you going to do? And Jesus spoke, and the wind and the waves ceased, and it became calm. And their response was, truly, you are the Son of God. They recognized him a power. They recognized in him something unique. They recognized in him one who controlled the world around them in the wind and the waves. And finally, there was a centurion who was charged with guarding Jesus as he hung on the cross. And as he was dying, he had one who had witnessed and observed his beating and his mocking and his crucifixion, who had listened to the taunts of the people, who had listened to the words of Jesus as he hung on the cross, as he died and gave up his last breath. And their centurion's response was, truly, this was the Son of God. You see, those confronted with his power, those confronted with his might and his fatherly likeness saw his divinity. As the angel spoke with Joseph and Mary the, about the child that was being carried in her womb and affirmed his conception and shared the name, the writer Matthew put two and two together, and he says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We sung about that. We've already talked about that. And we've realized that in that name, Emmanuel, there is the reality that he is both God and man. 
you see it here. The, the virgin birth is the only means through which God could enter into human existence and maintain those two natures. How could Jesus save anybody from their sins, let alone a people and all who would trust in him, if he was just a man? But he was God. But how could God enter into the world? Well, the only way he could enter into the world was through a divine act of conception by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. And so I ask, have you encountered the Son of God? Have you ever thought about the baby that was born to Mary as the one who controls the wind and the waves and the sea? Does his name Emmanuel fill you with awe? Are you stopped in your tracks as you think about the uniqueness of this child that was born to Mary? The mystery is, is, is intense. I understand it. But I also understand the truth and the necessity behind Jesus being fully God and fully man. And if you will consider the record of Jesus' life, if you will take time to read some of the gospel record, you will see how Jesus is, in fact, God on earth. We also have his, what I would call his prophetic names. These are names that, that we come to know him by, and I hope you will hear, maybe this is the first time you'll hear them today, names that are also attributed to this child that was born to Mary. Amazing names that, that, that represent his character, that give us an insight into who he is and, and how he serves us and how he loves us and what he can do for us. The first one is simply Wonderful Counselor. Why Wonderful Counselor? Well, because he is rightly able to identify any problem within us and help us with the right solution. He knows what you are facing. He knows what you are suffering. He knows the extent of your temptation. That is why Christmas is such good news, because God became human. God became one of us. God took on flesh and blood. God suffered. God felt. God experienced. God was tempted. He knows us inside and out. He has a knowledge of you that even you don't have of yourself. The psalmist puts it this way, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. A human counselor can only respond to what you tell them. Those who are skilled maybe are, are able to make assumptions based on their experience and behavior patterns. But by and large, they are only as good as what you reveal them or what you tell them. All of us know that we have things that we never say. We have emotions and we have uh, in, intents that we never tell anybody, motivations that nobody else knows. But God knows every one of them. And so when you come to him with a problem or with a concern or with a particular trial, he knows you inside and out. He knows where you have been. He knows where you're going. He knows what you're thinking. The psalmist goes on and he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Do you hear what the Bible is telling us about God? He knows what went into you specifically 
as you were being created in your mother's womb. He knows your genes. He knows your DNA. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows each one of your days before you've lived any one of them. He knows your family. He knows where you're going to live. He knows why you're going to live there. He's determined all of that. That's why he is a wonderful counselor. He knows all about us. Remember the woman at, the, at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman. She finally went back into town after Jesus had talked to her about all the different relationships she has been. The deepest secrets of her life that she thought nobody knew. And when Jesus revealed them to her, she went back into the town. He says, let me tell you what he told me. He knew everything about me. Somebody who knows everything about us can give us the greatest counsel. That's why he is a wonderful counselor. Why would you not come to such a person in your confusion, in the chaos of your life? Why would you not trust one who knows you inside and out and knows you better than you know yourself? Why would you not come to him with your confusion and your lack of understanding and say, I need help. This is my struggle. This is my burden. This is my concern. I wish we would trust the word of God more firmly and more strongly and more immediately in our lives. He always has our best interests in mind. He always knows what is best for us. Help for today and for tomorrow. We need guidance and we need direction in life. We need to see our way through the confusion that surrounds us. That is this child born to Mary, wonderful counselor. He's also called the mighty God. There's nobody more powerful than this child. The child of Christmas is the mighty God. He made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them. This is his world. He made it. He sustains it. He guides it. He knows the ends of the universe. He knows the smallest parts of this world ever made. And one of the greatest names of Jesus in the book of Revelation is Almighty. Pantocratos. I just love the sound of that. He is the Almighty One. And Revelation describes the age in which we're living right now. Revelation describes what has been, what is, and what will to come. And over all of that is the Almighty One. There is nothing that happens outside of his control. Nothing that is beyond his power. There is no spiritual battle you can face. There is no physical battle you can face. There is no medical power battle that you can face that the Almighty God cannot help you. See, all world is chaotic, isn't it? It feels sometimes like it's out of control. Powers all around us and even inside of us tend to want to render us helpless and powerless. But this child, this baby that was born to Mary has been called by the prophet Isaiah, the mighty God. He is able to bring relief from all bondages of every kind. He is able to help us when we are powerless to do anything for ourselves. He is able to come to our aid when we need salvation and deliverance. How often do we think in our lives, I am powerless to do anything about this? And turn to the baby born to Mary and say, Almighty God, come to my rescue. You see, in Jesus, we have a sovereign master who can forgive sins, who can defeat death, who can crush Satan, who can liberate us from the power of evil, who can redeem us, who can answer our prayers, who can restore our broken souls, who can reign over our lives, who can bring order to our chaos and never, ever let us go. Nothing can pull us out of his grasp. Nothing can separate us from his love. 
Is that not somebody that you are willing to trust your life to? Everlasting Father. Strange word, isn't it? This, this name that he would be given, Everlasting Father. And you might say, wait a minute. I know enough to, to understand that God is called the Father, but how can Jesus also be called the Everlasting Father? Well, there's no confusion meant here. What I think this is, is this is, a, this is not a reference to God the Father. Rather, it's a way of telling us that Jesus has father-like characteristics. He has father-like qualities. Those of you who have been raised in the church, you might be familiar with a song or a hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And it has this stanza, Father-like He tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame He knows. In His hands He gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. So Messiah, this child born to Mary, has got father-like qualities and characteristics, and they are everlasting. The adjective here is not referring to the eternal nature of this child. Jesus is eternal. What it's saying is something about the father-like qualities or characteristics of this child will never come to an end. He will always be father-like to us. He will forever be father-like to us. Father forever in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. Some of you have experienced the awful reality of a father who abandoned you. Others of you know the loss of a father at a very, very young age. Some of you have had fathers who have not been father-like at all to you. But what Isaiah is telling us, there will be one born, and that child was born to Mary, who will be father-like in the most perfect sense of the word, and will be so forever and ever and ever. You need never fear that he will abandon you. You need never fear that he will die. You need never fear that, that his care for you will wane and wax. You need never fear that he will stop loving you. You need never fear that he will give up on you. You need never fear that your failures will cause him to turn his face away from you. He is father forever. And again, a hymn writer expressed it this way, day by day and with each passing moment, he whose name is counselor and power, the protection of his child and treasure is a charge he on himself has laid. This is a pledge that Jesus makes to those who put their trust in him, that he will be father-like to you forever and ever and ever. And we see this in beautiful ways. I was going through the, the Bible, and I can only read a few of these texts. I have a lot of them, and I've got lots I wanted to say, but he's, he's father-like in carrying us. He's like, well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Well, this is Isaiah 46, 3-4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remembrant, uh, remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age I am he, and to your gray hairs I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear you. I will carry you and I will save you. There's another reference which I want to read from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your father carried you as a man carries his son. This is Jesus. I can picture sometimes Jesus when we're wearied, when we're tired, when we're beat up, when we're, when we're exhausted. He picks us up and he throws us on his shoulders and he carries us. Father-like. Some of you who have children know the joy and the delight that you have from 
plopping your child on your shoulders and just carrying them. This is the act and the qualities of Jesus who was born to Mary. Father-like, he carries us. But a loving father also disciplines us. He disciplines us for our good. The Proverbs, writer of Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. When you put your trust in Jesus, when you walk with him, there will be times of difficulty. There will be times, times when Jesus will chastise us, but it's not because he doesn't like us. It's not because he doesn't want us in his family. It's because he loves us so dearly that he wants to guide and direct the course of our lives. He's a father who is also compassionate towards us. Again, a passage in Psalm 103, verse 18, uh, verse 14, simply just one part of that section of Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are but dust. Isn't that one of the marks of a, of a, of a good father? Is his compassion? Is his understanding of our weakness is understanding of what a little three-year-old should be like or what an eight-year-old should be like or what a 12-year-old should be like and his response is compassionate and according to their age and their maturity. Well, Jesus knows what we're like when we're 50, when we're 80. He's compassionate towards us forever and ever as our eternal father. He's a one who adopts us and embraces us into his family as fellow brothers and sisters. Psalm 27, 9 to 10 says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away your servant in anger, for you have been my helper. Do not forsake me or reject me, O God, my Savior. Though my father or mother may forsake me, the Lord will receive me. This is a wonderful reality of Jesus Christ. You may be forsaken by everybody. You may be rejected by everybody in your neighborhood. You may be rejected by people in your family. You may be rejected by, by society. But if you come to Jesus, he will never, ever reject you. He will always bring you in to his family. How often do we feel alone in the world? How often do we long for a family to belong to? One of the deepest needs of humankind is met in Jesus Christ, this baby that was born to Mary. He is everlasting father. Here is Jesus who father-like carries his people protecting them through all dangers and whom we can trust like a child in a father's arms. Here is Jesus with father-like love who disciplines us when we go astray. Here is Jesus who with father-like pity has compassion upon us, knowing how we're built, knowing how we're made, knowing the context of our lives. Here is Jesus who father-like embraces us and brings us into his family so we are no longer fatherless. Is this not what we all long for? Do we not all long to be embraced by a father. This is the child that was born to Mary, everlasting father. And finally, Isaiah gives him one more name, Prince of Peace. I suspect now more than ever, our world and individuals in the world, and maybe you have a yearning for peace. The angels sang when Jesus was born, peace on earth. And through the revival of this arrival of this child, he was to begin to bring peace to individuals and to our world in which we live. It's incremental, I get it. 
And I know that it's not necessarily worldwide yet, but it will be one day, but it starts with us as individuals. And I love the references in Scripture that talk about how Jesus not only brings us peace with God, and he does that by taking away our sins and by taking away our condemnation and by taking away God's wrath upon us, thereby making it possible for us to be at peace with God. But he also brings peace to us as we bring our prayers and our concerns and our, our, our sorrows and our needs before God. And it says that the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That through Jesus, we have the peace of God within us. And also, through Christ, we have the ability to be at peace with one another. If at all, if it, long as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. It's amazing the way that this child begins to temper our pride, begins to temper our stubbornness, begins to deal with the things that cause for friction in our relationships, in our worlds, and in ourselves, and begins to replace that friction with the peace of God. This child, born to Mary, this Prince of Peace, can bring peace to your life and can begin to bring peace to your relationship with others. He is the Prince of Peace. Will you not come to him today? Will you not say, I need that peace? Will you not recognize the turmoil in your life has a solution? And the solution is found in the child that was born to Mary. No more confusion then. No more chaos. No more cares. No more conflict. No more separation. All of this coming through a child that was born to Mary. All of this expressed to us in the various names that he was given that describe his character and his qualities. And lastly, his conquering names. I didn't know any other word to say this, and I only have a, a few things that I want to say on this. I just want to draw your attention to them, though. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. That's this one born to Mary. He's coming back. He's coming back as a conquering king. And he is going to be called Faithful and True. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that nobody knows but himself. And we'll come back to that in a moment. He is called in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. See, there's three more names of Jesus. He is called Faithful. He is called True. He is called the Word of God. Why Faithful? Well, for so many reasons, but he is the faithful witness. He faithfully comes and tells us about his Father. He faithfully fulfills all the promises that God has made. He faithfully carries out all the threats and the judgment that God has promised to bring on those who reject him. He is faithful in all that he does. He is faithful in all that he says. You can trust him. He will never let you down. He is also true. There's no hypocrisy in him. There's, there's no such thing as fake Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you have only true. He is true. There's nothing made up. There is nothing false. There is nothing half true or untrue. Jesus is true in all his actions. Jesus is true in all his words. I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And he's called the Word of God. It's simply a way of describing his perfection, of his power, of his might. The writer of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came and he spoke on this world, his was the last word. Why was it the last word? Because he spoke the very words of God. 
And in fact, John tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He speaks, and something comes from nothing. He speaks, and blind eyes are opened. He speaks, and the dead are raised. This is Jesus. This is the child that was born to Mary. Do you know that he is called faithful and true? Are you looking for somebody in your life that will always be trustworthy, that will always be faithful, that will never let you down, that will never betray your confidence, that will never betray your trust? Are you looking for somebody that will speak words that go right to your very core? Then turn to Jesus, the one born to Mary. Have you ever thought about the names of Jesus and what they tell you about him? Again, just as our names, and we have a variety of names, all of us. We have nicknames. We have professional names. We have personal names. They all reveal something about our skills and our characteristics and our competencies and our roles and our accomplishments. Well, so too, the names of Jesus open up door after door after door into his personality, into his character, into his power, into his might, into the purpose for which he has come to live on this earth. So many names. But did you listen when we read from Revelation that he has a name written that nobody knows but himself? What is this? Why, why does he have a name that only he knows? Well, in, in part, to, to know a name is to have authority over a person. And so, for instance, uh, if you have a child and the child's name is Zeb, and Zeb's about to run across the street, you yell out, Zeb, and you stop him. Then you get his attention momentarily, and he stops, and he turns around. Or if you're walking down the road, and on the other side of the street is somebody you know, and you yell out, hey, Steve, and Steve hears his name, and he stops, and he turns towards you. There's a certain amount of power or control that you have over that individual by knowing their name. Well, I wonder if this is a way of telling us there is no power or control that any of us have over Jesus ultimately. Because he is a name that only he knows. But I also wonder if maybe this is a way of telling us that Jesus is so big, he is so great, his perfections are so many that we will go into eternity learning more and more and more and more about him. Because there is no name that can ultimately describe his fullness or his power, or the, the extent of his greatness. And so there is a name which only he knows, but we will learn into eternity. This baby in a manger, you might say it's controllable, it's manageable. But as soon as you begin to rehearse and reflect on the names of this baby, it ought to bring us to our knees in humility before him. The name Son of God takes him out of our time and places him into eternity. The name Emmanuel takes him out of eternity and brings him into our time and space. Wonderful counselor addresses the chaos of our lives. Almighty God addresses our fears and the weaknesses that we have. Everlasting Father addresses our need and our desire for one who will always be father-like to us in a perfect, in a perfect way. Prince of Peace addresses the anxieties and the the, the divisions that we face in our life, faithful and true, gives us stability. 
Will you not come to Jesus today? Will you not trust in Jesus today? Will you not understand that this baby is more than just a little baby, maybe a nameless baby born to Mary at Christmas time? This is one who can meet every single need you will ever have and who will evermore be your brother, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you today. We're thankful for Jesus. And it's so easy for us to have such a small view of him. It's so easy for us to think, ah, I've got this handled. I, I, know, I know him by Jesus. But have we even thought of Jesus? Why is he called Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. And all of a sudden that just blows, explodes in our minds. And that's just one name of hundreds that we find given to Jesus. And he shall be called. Father, would the names of Jesus shine light into the darkness of our hearts? Would the names of Jesus reveal how Jesus can meet every one of the needs that we ever will have? Father, would you draw people to Jesus today through the names that they learn and hear of him? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.